band together. Kathy mentioned something about rain. We've had a little bit, but we need a whole lot more. So we're going to sing, There Shall Be Showers of Blessing. This is the promise of love. Let's sing together. There shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing. Sent from the Savior above. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops from the
mentioned this a while ago. But today's kind of a sad day for us. We're losing one of our choir members. The Millers, Christina and Richard and the boys, are moving to North Dakota, of all places. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking one winter up there and they'll be back. But uh, Christina, wave at us. We're going to miss them. So if you see them today, give them a big hug and uh, wish them well. <clears throat> Let's sing... You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like today. Father, you are beautiful beyond description. Father, you are too marvelous for words. Father, you are too wonderful for us to even comprehend. Like nothing we've ever seen, nothing we've ever heard. Father, 
Visit us today in a mighty way. Be with our pastor today as he comes to share your word with us. Father, may we have open hearts, open minds, and our ears would be attentive today that you would speak to us today, Father. Thank you for blessing us today in this place. Father, our prayers that you've been pleased with what you've heard, what you've seen from us today, your people, worshiping you. We thank you and love you and praise you in your son's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, I just want to start today by saying welcome to First Baptist Church. Now, when I say that this morning, it's not just a generic greeting because most cities, most towns, most areas have a First Baptist Church. And the reason that we say that, obviously, it was the first Baptist work, the first organized Baptist effort in that particular city, that particular area. And we as a church, as anybody know, we were established in 1848. And so that's an incredible history. Now, you go back even further than that into American history, and you learn that the first Baptist church in America was found in Providence, Rhode Island. It was established by a man named Roger Williams in the year 1638, and that beautiful building that they built at that time is still there. And if you want to know what it looks like, drive to the Dallas Baptist University campus and look at the Pilgrim's Chapel. It's an exact replica of the very first Baptist church in the United States. States. But if we go back even further, we discover the very first Baptist preacher was not in America at all. He was actually a man that we read about on the very first pages, the first verses of the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament, and we know his name. His name was John the Baptist. Now, when we say John the Baptist, we need to understand that was not actually a title. That actually was telling us that he was a man who baptized. And every one of our baptismal candidates will be baptizing little Addie Davenport in the second service. And I'm so excited about that. But I taught her this past week that the word baptize in the Greek is the word baptizo. And it literally means to dip, to plunge, to dive, to submerge, or to dunk. So long before the NBA ever came around, there was somebody who could have easily been called John the Dunker. And that's who he was. He was John the Baptizer, John the Dunker. Now, as Steve said, I'm really excited today that we begin get to begin a brand new study in the Gospel of Mark. I've been wanting to preach through one of the Gospels for a while. And um, so we're going to do that, titling this series, The Remarkable Life of Jesus. The Remarkable Life of Jesus. So I'm not going to preach through the entire Gospel. I'm not going to preach every verse, every story, every instance. But we are going to be skipping and picking through the Gospel of Mark throughout the fall. So congratulations on being here at the beginning. That's a good place to start, right? At the beginning. And so you're here and I invite you to join us all semester. Long. Now, I want you to know several things about Mark's gospel. First of all, it was not written by Mark. It was probably written by Peter, and John Mark was his secretary, if you will. And then the gospel of Mark also was written to a Roman audience, and we know if the Romans loved anything, they loved action. And therefore, Mark's gospel is a gospel of action. It has, uh, especially miracles are found in Mark. It has more miracles per chapter than any other biblical book. And then the most common word in Mark, if you were wondering, is the Greek word euthus. It simply means quickly 
or immediately. And so here's what happens in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus moves here quickly, and he goes there immediately, and then he goes there quickly, and then he goes there immediately. And that's the way the whole Gospel feels because Jesus is on the move in Mark's rendition of the Gospel. So that word euthus appears 40 times in 16 chapters. The action never stops. So I want you to take um, your Bible in hand and let's go ahead and go to Mark's gospel, Mark 1.1. And let's stand together as we honor the reading of this um, word of God today. And like a Hollywood producer, I think I'll say this for Mark's gospel. Lights, camera, action, right? Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read about John the Baptist preparing the way. The beginning of the gospel, it reads, about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, here's the choir's line, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit." Today, folks, I'm excited about this journey, and my prayer for us has been this, that Jesus will allow us to know him and experience him in action, perhaps the way we never have before. Let's go ahead and be seated. Now, one of the things that strikes us in these first verses of Mark is what John the Baptist looked like. And so we have all of these ideas and all of these renditions, but I think probably the best description I can offer today is somehow he was like a cross between a homeless man and Bigfoot. That's what I see in my mind, okay? And one of my favorite paintings of John the Baptist, let's go ahead and look at the screen, was this one by Tiziano Vicelli. And um, if you can see in the bottom corner, the left-hand corner down there, there's a lamb. And so it's as if John the Baptist is pointing toward the lamb, and that's exactly the role that that he played in life. His goal was to point people to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Now, John was unusual, right? We just read this in his dress and his diet. Uh, He wore a coat of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. Uh, He was a wild man. When When we hear that, that's what we think. So can you imagine... John the Baptist walking into one of our local restaurants. He steps up and he says, I'll take a McLocust burger, please, heavy on the honey. And the kid taking his order, taking his order asks, wait for it, would you like flies with that? I'm sorry. Folks, John <laughs> was a man who understood his role. His role was to point the way to Jesus. So today, I'm very excited to kick off this study by giving our attention to the spiritual lessons about this man and his ministry. Everything we say from this point, I promise you, it's going to apply powerfully to our lives. And so here's the first spiritual lesson from John, that we are called to help people find and follow God. Listen again what the Bible says about John. 
A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, seemingly in my entire childhood, and less and less as an adult, I've always been fond of the Tonight Show. Um, Jimmy Fallon is the one who currently is, is, is leading the Tonight Show. He's the current host. But before Jimmy, you had Jay Leno, and then before that, you had the great Johnny Carson, right? And Johnny Carson um, hosted the show for some 30 years. All throughout my childhood, I begged to get to stay up and watch Johnny Carson and the Tonight Show. And for all those 30 years, many of you know this, the show started with Ed McMahon, his sidekick. He wasn't seen, you just heard his voice saying these words. He would say, live from Hollywood, it's The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. And then he would introduce all the various guests, and then he would say this famous line, you know it. And now, here's Johnny, right? Now, church, that's basically what John the Baptist was doing. That was basically his role. He was just a voice crying in the wilderness live from heaven above. It's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Son of God, and now here's Jesus. That's what he's doing in the text. John's job was to prepare the way for Jesus the Christ. His job was to introduce people to Jesus. Let's, it's on the screen. Let's, let's think about that phrase. His job was to introduce people to Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian today, and many of you raised your hand earlier when Steve Steve asked, hey, is anybody a Christian? And if you're a Christian today, there was somebody who introduced you to Jesus, right? It may have been your mom or your dad, maybe a grandmother, a grandfather, a pastor, a friend, a neighbor. Somebody did it, and someone helped us find and follow Jesus. And if we're a Christian, now that mantle's been passed to us. Now that job has been passed on to us. Our job is to do the exact same. Let me tell you a story Sam Jones, a preacher, used to tell. It it was about a time when the big paddle boats roamed up and down the Mississippi River, and the, on one occasion, there was two paddle boats that passed on the river. And as they did so, the passengers all ran up to the rail like they would do. And they would wave at the passengers on the other boat as they passed each other in the mighty Mississippi. Well, one day as these two boats were passing, a man who fed the boiler underneath, he was an employee on the ship. He ran up on the deck and he pointed to the other boat and he said, look, look. There's the captain, he said, the finest captain on the Mississippi. Well, one of the passengers, he was a well-dressed man. He turned to this guy covered in coal and he said, who are you and what gives you the right to say that he's the finest captain? And the man said this, he said, well, last year I was on the deck of his boat and a storm blew up here on the river. I fell overboard, and sir, I can't swim. I was crying out like anybody would, help me, help me. And the captain himself leapt overboard into the water, and he saved my life. And ever since he saved me, I just can't help but point him out. And friends, that's why I stand in this pulpit. That's why I bear the title of preacher among you. But understand this, before I was ever a preacher, as you call me now, I was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore, right? But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. And I want to ask you today, is that your story too? And if it is, 
And I know it is for many of us. That's why we accept this job. We embrace this job because Jesus Christ saved us. Are you pointing people to God? John the Baptist was there in the wilderness crying out unto Jesus, right? For Jesus, helping people find and follow Jesus Christ. We ought to be doing the same. That's a powerful lesson from John the Baptizer. Let's let's talk about the second one. The second lesson is we find forgiveness when we make a U-turn toward God. Let's go back to Scripture. The Bible says John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance... For the forgiveness of sins. In other words, John's message was simple. Repent and be baptized. Now, let me ask you, don't you love a simple message? Church family, don't you just love a simple, short message? Isn't that a blessing to you? (laughs) Me too. And the main message... Of the Bible, the main messages of the Bible, I think they're all short and simple and clear. So let's be simple and direct today. The word repent is the most important word in this entire passage. And it means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. A change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. Repentance means that you realize you're living a sinful life. It means you realize that you're a sinner. It means that you've disobeyed God. You're going against God, right? And John's message was exactly that. And when John preached repentance, hear me, it wasn't an easy message. Just because it's simple and clear doesn't mean it's easy. He wasn't massaging all those people that roamed out to the Jordan out of Jerusalem. No, he was speaking straight truth to them. He was talking to them about their sin. Now, did you realize there are churches out there right now that no longer talk about sin? It's true. Watch your television screen and you'll see some of these Big-time, dynamic preachers never use the word sin. The message of the Bible is simple, that we're all sinners. Sin is real, isn't it? And if we want to experience God's forgiveness, we have to admit sin is real in our own life, and then we have to turn away from that sin and turn to God. I love the words Joseph Parker shared. Joseph Parker was a pastor of City Temple in London during the last part of the 19th century. Uh, Most said he was the strongest preacher of his day in Britain. And here's what he said. He said, the man whose message is repent sets himself against his own age. And he'll be battered mercilessly by the age whose moral tone he challenges. There is but one end for such a man, Parker said, off with his head. You had better not preach repentance until you pledge your heart and your head to heaven. Friend, that's exactly right. And in this church, in this pulpit, in this place, we will always preach repentance because it's found all through the Bible. Let me remind you, Noah preached it. Repent, he said, or you're going to drown. And the people laughed. Jonah preached it. Repent or God is going to destroy your city. Now, thankfully, in that instance, the people repented. The apostle Paul said the same. Repent then, he said, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We memorized that verse even in the sermon series several months ago. Folks, repentance is hard. But I want you to hear me. Repentance is hard, but you cannot find God without it. 
You'll never know Jesus Christ unless you repent. You'll never be in a relationship with God unless you repent. Repentance is a spiritual U-turn. So the question today is how many here, how many watching online today, how many of you, us, need to repent? And it's very simple, isn't it? Repentance is going one direction away from God. You hear the truth and you U-turn from your sin. You U-turn back to God. It's one turn, not two. You don't have to first turn away from your sin and then turn to God. No, when you turn toward God, it's then that you turn away from your sin. Folks, we find forgiveness when we make a U-turn toward God. It's a clear, powerful message. You'll never know God unless you repent. Repent, John said. And repent, we say still today. The third lesson. Abundant life is more about Jesus and less about me. Now let's listen to John's words again. He said, after me comes one powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and even untie. Folks, the job of the lowliest slave was to stoop down and untie the leather of his master's sandals. And John's out there in the water of the Jordan River saying, I'm not even worthy to do that. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because lots of people went out from Jerusalem to hear John. They loved his preaching. If he had claimed to be the Messiah, guess what? They would have believed it and started following him. But John didn't have a Messiah complex. That's why we call it that. He knew he was number two. Why? Because he knew who number one was. And we need to say that now, don't we? Because we live in a culture where nobody really likes being number two. Nobody's satisfied with that. You better believe. And by the way, if you're not aware, I'm wearing this Navarro College shirt today because we have 110 Navarro College football players joining us at 11 o'clock. 110 visitors in the second service just from Navarro College. I invite you to come back. It's going to be a great time. But I guarantee you those Navarro College football players, they're not going to be satisfied if number number two goes to them and number one goes to the New Mexico Military Institute. They're not going to like that at all. Last year when the Bengals lost to the Rams at the Super Bowl, they didn't run to their locker room afterwards and say, we're number two, we're number two. They didn't do that. Because nobody does that. Nobody gets excited about needing number two. But John was. John was comfortable with being number two. Because the desire of his heart was to let Jesus become greater and greater while he became less and less. I I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. Do it. It may be your spouse. It may be a child, somebody you know, whoever. I want you to turn and say this. It's not about me. Tell them. It's not about me. Now say this. It's all about Jesus. Did you mean that? It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Friend, today, hear me. If you'll make that your motto, then you're on your way to understanding what abundant life is all about. Let's go back to the spiritual truth. Abundant life is more about Jesus and less about me. And John John the Baptist, the baptizer, the dunker, he's living that out in front of us. What a powerful spiritual lesson. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. A fourth spiritual principle. Jesus, this is the big one. Jesus wants to totally immerse us in God's life. 
Jesus wants to totally immerse us in God's life. John's immediate message, we've already said it, repent and be baptized. But he went on and he said this, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, as I said in our second service at 11 o'clock, Addie Davenport is going to be baptized. Now, last week we were all together. What a great Sunday last week was, right? All together, a Laurel Freeze getting baptized. Many of us excited about that. Addie today, think about the baptism symbolism. It's an outward sign today of Addie dying to a life without Christ and rising to a life with Christ. And John was talking about Jesus not baptizing, though, with water, but baptizing with the Holy Spirit. What is that? Well, it's very simple. And some people have made this very challenging, but I don't think it has to be. That's when the Holy Spirit comes into us and lives inside of us. It's called being filled with the Holy Spirit. Folks, Acts chapter 2, my favorite chapter in the entire Bible, is all about that moment in the New Testament. At Pentecost, this Jewish holiday, people came from all over the country. You remember, Peter looks out and he says, we can't... We can't miss this opportunity to share Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes on them. Mighty rushing wind, a flame, tongues of fire, right? Everybody heard in their own native tongue. The Holy Spirit fills them, fills them in that moment. And the same thing happens to every one of us when we choose Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're filled with the Spirit. Now, there are some churches out there, some well-meaning Christians. They try to describe this baptism in the Holy Spirit as some kind of second blessing experience. And it's then that you speak in tongues and you faint and you fall around and you, you fall out. But folks, I need to tell you that when they say if you don't speak in tongues and if you don't do all these things, you don't have the Holy Spirit, that's not true to Scripture. It's not an honest assessment. And I'm afraid these people are looking more for an experience than they are looking for Jesus Christ. I want you to hear this. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not for our enjoyment. It's for God's employment. Does that make sense? You see, God is filling us with his Spirit to employ. Employ us to go serve him completely. And the only way we can do that is when we are filled with the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. We're immersed into the full life of Almighty God. It's then that we're all in and equipped and enabled to do what God calls us to do. Listen to this, this, this statement from a theologian. It says a Christian who is baptized in the Holy Spirit has jumped head first into a swimming pool filled with the living water, and their entire life is surrounded and covered and supported in the life of Jesus Christ. So so based upon that, here's my deal. Go ahead and take the plunge. Go ahead and dive in, dive deep, go under, submerge yourself, and be filled with the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. That's our goal. That's what we need. So John's message was repent and be baptized. John's message so clear, unless you all repent, you will perish. And hear me, that's the same message today. 
Repent or you'll perish. You see, God is giving all of us, you, the opportunity to turn to him today and trust him with forgiveness. One of the greatest aviation disasters in history happened in the year 1977 in the Canary Islands off the coast of Spain. Some of you may remember this. Two 747s have been diverted because of a bomb threat at their destination in Spain, and they were sitting on the tarmac. They got refueled, and the KM-747, the KLM-747, taxied to the end of this fog-shrouded runway to take off. Well, meanwhile, Pan Am 747, piloted by Captain Victor Grubbs, was taxiing down the runway following the KLM plane, also going to get in line to take off. Well, neither crew, neither plane could see one another, and the air traffic controller in the tower, he couldn't see either jet either because of that thick fog. So the planes were apart, one had turned and the other one was coming, and now they were facing one another, and Captain Grubbs looked through the fog and he saw to his disbelieving eyes this jet roaring down the runway towards him. He tried to pour the throttle forward to turn the plane to the left, but all it did was make the plane literally perpendicular to this oncoming jet, and that KLM jet tried to take off and get over the top of the plane, but it sheared off the top of that Pan Am jet. 583 fatalities that day. Now, Captain Grubbs was only one of 66 survivors. He received second and third degree burns across his entire body. And later on, as he visited the scene of that crash site, he wept and onlookers heard him say these words, If only I had turned sooner. I want you to think about those words. If only I had turned sooner. The Bible says there is a delay, a danger in delaying your turn to him. Scripture actually says this, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you don't turn to Christ today, you may spend eternity saying the exact same thing as Captain Grubbs. If only I'd turned sooner. You see, I believe this with all my heart. The message of salvation is simple. Repent and turn to God. And the way you do that is by placing your trust in Jesus. John 3.16, so simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. And we oftentimes say there's nothing that God can't do. But actually, I think there are three things God can't do. And here they are. He can't love you any more than he already does. He can't give you more than he's already given you. He gave you his one and only son. And he can't make it any simpler. That if you believe in him and turn to him, you can have eternal life. 